Thank you so much for tuning in to the Attack Release Show. My name's Samos. I'm with my good friend, Matt Gerber. Hello. And today, we're doing a fun episode that I think we're calling Forget Everything You Think You Know. Is that correct, Matt? Is that uh, the, the working title? Perhaps, yeah. Forget well, Everything You well, Think You Know? We'll see what happens. So that is our topic today, and I'm actually pretty excited to talk about this because I feel like uh, when you start an audio, you get told a lot of things that you're supposed to do or you should do, and in my experience, and I would imagine in Matt's experience, you quickly find out that everything you've been taught potentially uh, doesn't apply to the context of the current project you're working on or with the client. So... I'm excited so normally, to talk about it. Yes, go. Normally, you're also told this information by people who don't do the thing that like, oh, yes. you're doing. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, yeah, mastering engineers do this. And it's like, well, how do you know? <laughs> <laughs> mastering engineers are supposed to equalize by a tenth of a dB. And okay, that's for the episode. That's for the episode. <laughs> We're in the intro still. Yeah. But, and it's like, well, you're not even a mastering engineer. It's like, you're kind of barely got your foot into this. That's so, right. Yeah. So that's our episode today. Should we do housekeeping? I think we got some housekeeping. Let's keep this one. I'm like getting over a cold. I gotta, I gotta tell people. I'll probably be hacking through this whole thing, getting over some kid germs. Matt's got a cold. Um, I got allergies. So give us some grace today. We're recording at the end of March. All the trees are getting jiggy with it, dropping all their <laughs> usual stuff they do in the in the spring. Good lord! Uh, it's like literally driving down the road in Charleston in about a week. It, what's going to happen is it's going to be blazing hot, and it's just going to be the whole sky is just going to be a sea of yellow. Mm-hmm. And then, like, if you go outside and you start sweating, just like yellow, just cakes on like anything of you that like sweats. Uh, Pollen season is the worst. the worst. I don't even have allergies, and it is the worst. I got allergies, baby, and they are the worst. Yeah. I do not envy you one bit. It's not very fun. Not so, very yeah, fun. Housekeeping. Doss. Matt might be hacking his lungs up, so I apologize. So, anyway, you want to put on some fancy music? Putting on fancy music. Let me cue the band. Band, are you ready? And there we go. And band. And band. Do you want to do housekeeping or do you want me to do housekeeping? You do housekeeping this week. All right. Hello, family and friends or friends and family. Do you enjoy listening to the Attack and Release show in your free time? Or maybe you're just wasting time like on a Zoom call and you have that one muted and you have us queued up. Well, first of all, thank you. You're a doll. If you enjoy the show, if you wouldn't mind going over to somewhere, wherever you're listening, and leave us a comment, a review, a like, a star... Or more importantly, please uh, tell a friend, a foe, whatever you got about the Attack and Release show. A friend or foe about the Attack and Release show. I, I like, like that. that. Whoa. That was, was kind of nice. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, friend or foe about also, the Also, if you need a mastering engineer, guess what? What? <laughs> we know two of them. <laughs> Sam Moses here is at. Sam Mo, no, you're at Moses Mastering, <laughs> not Sam Moses. Moses you're Mastering. You're at MosesMastering.com. And like, yeah, and the, the whole handle thing, Moses Mastering. I'm at For the Record Mastering.com or For the Mastering. For, jeez, <laughs> I am never doing housekeeping again. <laughs> I am at For the Record Mastering 
has like a handle. So, anywho, get a handle. I on think yourself. that officially wraps up my first and last time of doing housekeeping. You got through it. It's great. See the pressure I did I'm get under. Through it. That's the pressure I'm under every week. You are you are incredible. <sighs> it's hard. It's tough. What was something that you heard when you were starting out that you have to do that you were taught as a rule? <laughs> Real quick side note yes. about all this. Yes. So my wife and I, we went like for like a week or so, like many years ago, down to Nicaragua. We were helping teach uh, English at a at a university, and. One of the things, one of the phrases that they had to learn as what English people, English speaking people say is the phrase as a rule. And right there was the first time I've ever said as a rule (laughs) in my English speaking career. And so we pretty much told everybody, yeah, you can learn this for your test, but no one in America or anywhere else that speaks English says this. So, but anyway, for the second time, I'm going to say this in my life, Sam. Matt. As a rule... (laughs) What are you normally taught when you are getting into this? That is just absolutely bonkers, not true, and just kind of like, I don't know, off the wall. What's what's something you got? I mean, one of the first things I think I was taught was you put your output ceiling at negative one, always. Oh, yeah. Like, you do not... You don't you don't do zero zero. You don't do negative zero point two. You have to do negative one, or negative two even. I heard that. But one of the first guys I watched was like negative one because of all the overs and clipping potential when it goes to CD or goes to digital. And I guess in theory, well, a I don't know who's who's making your CDs that botches it that bad. That's a bad CD duplicator or replicator if they can't. <laughs> maintain within a DB. For digital, I kind of understand it now because depending on the quality, um, we don't run into it that much anymore, in my opinion. Um, there is stuff that true peaks over zero, zero on streaming, depending on how compressed it is or if they used a inner sample peak limiter. But for a long time, I was told if you don't if you run it over negative 1.0 on your ceiling, then it's going to sound awful. And I was told that everybody runs at negative 1.0, and if they don't, then they don't know what they're doing. This is something that I've found not to be true. Uh, All the people that I actually, I'll say, look up to in the mastering world run everything to negative 0.0, negative 0.2. And that is probably one of the first things I remember constantly in the the battle of loudness, which uh, we compete with loudness, that's a thing, um, I don't know if it's a war, but it's definitely thing, a, a thing people care about. Um, there were so many times when I would drop in a commercial track and it would be 0, 0, negative 0.2, and my track would be negative 1. And right right there, like, in the Mastering world, the DB is a huge deal, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can do a lot with the DB of room, of dynamics, or EQ, or headroom. And so it's really hard to compete um, in the commercial market when you're putting everything at negative one. Uh, it just won't, you're already behind the gun essentially or you're pinned into a corner, no pun intended, pinning, but you are not going to compete in the commercial market if that's your goal to compete in the, uh, I'll say, general top 40. And you know most people care about loudness. So whether or not you agree with it, 
you know, most of my clients do. Overall, the 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 market is continually still showing they're cranking out records that run into zero zero right about there, and then they true peak over a lot of the times, which in theory is distortion, but. Um, it was more so the fear and shame surrounding the idea of negative 1.0. Like, if you didn't do that, then you weren't a master engineer or that you were bad or that it was going to sound terrible. And I remember when I started taking it to negative 00, negative 0.2, and it sounded fine. Like, (laughs) when it got out into the the real world or put on a CD or got to streaming, um, it sounded fine, and it actually started to sound closer to the commercial records that were out there. Um, which were being ran to zero zero most of the time. That's a lot of the records out there. A lot of them are ran to zero zero, um, which I don't do. I do negative zero point two, just because I find that at zero zero, um, I do hear noticeable distortion, which I don't necessarily love. Now, once again, you could say, well, Sam, the market probably likes it, but I like negative zero point two. That's just my personal choice. I feel like when I do that. When stuff comes out, it sounds really nice and loud and clean still. And usually that's the goal with most of my clients. They want loud and clean, not loud and clipping. So um, that's my number. That's the thing I remember the most of being shamed about, of being like negative 1.0 always. Or you Are you minus 0.2 or minus 0.02? Minus 0.2. Okay, so you're showing on uh, a meter that's uh, decibels full scale. You are point like minus point two. Correct. Okay, I do uh, minus point zero two. <laughs> <laughs> so real and close. To I zero. actually have not had any problems with that. It's great, with the exception of people who work in Luna. Mm, interesting. And Luna, Luna can detect that. And I'll tell you why I do that. Um, I found that under uh, 0.04, that data will not register on in any DAW meter as like 0.1. But if you go minus 0.5, on an output ceiling, it's going to show as minus one. The meter is going to round that value up. So I've always found it's like people just like seeing stuff at zero, zero. And I'm like, all right, well, I don't care. And I never <laughs> really have too much like ISP going on. So I'll actually take it to the hundredth and the DAW won't show it. And I'll still be pulling back like a skosh. And it's normally been pretty solid. So I was, I was just curious if it was a tenth or a hundredth that you were doing it to you because the Pro L2 will let you go to the 100th. Yeah. But the DAW meter will not show it. Right. <clears throat> so, I don't know. I was curious. Yeah, it's great. My... Yeah, what's yours? Uh, I would say my biggest one, and I'm trying to have this be a thought-out <laughs> sentence, <laughs> is that EQ moves t- typically happen in the tenths of decibels yeah and that it's normally only sharp cuts and wide boosts and whatnot and i'll just say and that you have to like use the mastering piece of gear i like the mastering piece of gear for instance like the manly massive passive because 
And it's like, Sam, I know you don't have the, the, the mastering version, but you like the silver face. And so you're going to kind of like jive with that. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that I like that it's like, yeah, I'll pay the extra cash for is from what I understand, the switches in the mastering version as opposed to the regular version have less than a 1% deviation um, channel to channel. And I liked that. And with the mixing versions, I believe it's around 10% deviation. And it all has to do with the contact on the switches. Mm -hmm. And I believe the mastering one just has a gold contact. And to me, it's like, yeah, I'll pay the extra cash to have that known value. And to me, it would just drive me absolutely nuts knowing that it's like, oh, shit, I could be 10% off channel to channel. And just it's just my little idiosyncrasy. But... I think so it's like that type of stuff in mastering I do I do like and I'm neurotic about that. But whenever you get into you have to do like tenths of a dB and it's like I think on this like massive passive it's like I don't know how I like I, I did the math one time and like however many steps on one of these stepped switches equated to, it was like 1.33 decibels or something like that. I'll have to count and like do it again. Ne- your next monologue, I'm going to count and then do the math. Um, so it's like you're already like there, your first bump here, you're definitely going over like one and a quarter dB. Once again, I'll do the math and I'll kind of confirm it because um, it maxes out at 11 dB. I just have to, I'll, like I said, I'll count. Um, but it's like... I feel like in mastering, you just need to do whatever the hell you need to do to make the song work. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if it's not working, you either need to give it back or you need to do something more broad and more extreme. And I mean, if you're going to do a shelf at 1K, not like a like uh, <coughs> a, a high shelf. Well, what was that? That was me sneezing that, allergies. That was like an airplane taking off. <laughs> Holy crap. That was great. Felt Sample great. that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All these great sounds. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so it's like a 1K shelf, like a high shelf, isn't necessarily incorrect if it makes the song sound better and come alive and do what the song needs to do. Like on paper, it's like like whenever you're kind of like looking at a textbook, it would probably be pretty advised against. Um, but for some reason on a massive passive, it just works. So it's like, that. I think that's my number one is like, you can dive into like the tenths of a DB and that's fine. You're more than welcome to do that. And I do at times um, with plugins or something like that. And it's like in hardware, normally the the lowest you're going to get is half a DB. I guess you can get into like the API 5500 and I think maybe the GML, their massive EQ does that uh, at quarter DBs. I'm not sure. I think the GML does it, but the API 5500 definitely has it, so you can go in the quarter dB range. I wish the Dangerous Backs did it, but that's like <laughs> that's like a typical mastering engineer complaining about things. Is like, man, I wish I had more control. <laughs> I wish this could... Uh, it's like, you gave me everything under the sun. That sounds fantastic. But if I just could have this in smaller increments, that would be great. So that's, uh, that, that's my first one, is that you... You need to operate within a certain parameter when operating an EQ, when in reality, you really just need to do whatever you need to do to make sure that that song um, just sings its heart out. Right. So 
that's kind of where I land on that. What's your next one, bud? I mean, I would echo that. Echo. Um, I mean, I feel like I was taught my next one would surround a similar idea of like you can't use more than one limiter or that you can't limit first. Um, I just feel like there's so many things I was told uh, that, and I get asked on Instagram, honestly, quite quite often, um, people that say, hey, this song feels like this, and I feel like I need to do this plus five plugins plus hit my gear to make it sound good. Is that okay? Like, I literally have people ask permission, me permission to do that. And I just say, yeah, of course. Like, I had that today. Yeah, like <laughs> I have people do that. And I know it stems from someone at one point said, this is how you master, and if you do this, you're doing it wrong. Um, and I think that's such a, uh, it puts you in a box. Like, it puts you in a really creative, uh, limited box, and it can be detrimental because it doesn't free you to serve the song best. So for me, I mean, probably one of my earliest on things was like, you need a a mastering room and a mastering converter and mastering gear to master, you know. And mm. if you don't, then you don't, you can't compete with Sterling or the big time people. And something I feel like I've shared with people, but maybe not enough, is like my whole career, and probably most people's story is similar in mastering, is like I started a hundred percent in the box on Yamaha five speakers with an inbox two in a laundry room. You know, that was like the first time I really started quote unquote mastering when I started trying to call records done for people. <laughs> and you're, you are nobody to Sterling. And right. They don't really care. So well, yeah, really, that too. <laughs> no one's gonna, no one who's going to Sterling is probably interested in going to you at that point. Exactly, yeah. So. Yeah, and so there's that whole mind game. But I just feel like a lot of people get um, discouraged, especially with mastering. For some reason, mastering specifically People are like, oh, it's so expensive. The gear is so expensive, and you've got to have the best room, and you've got to spend $100,000 on speakers and all these things. And the the funny part about all that is I don't understand this, but it's like, oh, you're just producing. You can have a shitty room. Oh, you're just like, so, like we, for some yeah. reason, treat the other parts as if like you can have, if you're a mixer, you can have a less accurate room than a mastering engineer. And that like totally makes zero sense to me, but that is the approach the industry has Almost as if, once again, how we talk about it is like, just mastering will fix it. Like, it's the mastering engineer's job to find all the issues. But it's like, we shouldn't have all these issues if you're, you know, if you're going to operate out of ignorance and produce from a room that sounds crappy and mix from a room that sounds crappy. It shouldn't become my job to try and salvage it. That's a whole other tangent. But what I want to say is, to everyone out there, and what I feel like I was told and read I just felt very inferior for many years that what I was doing wasn't um, wasn't good enough. Even though I had paying clients who really liked my work, I felt ashamed about how I was doing the work. I didn't want people to know I was working on Yamaha, you know, HS5s. I didn't want people to know I was on an inbox too. I didn't want people to know that I had zero gear, even though I was making products people really liked. Um, you know, I think it's one of those things where people look at me now, and I—I I mean, I had this conversation this past week where someone's like, "You have so much gear, you, you know, room looks great," 
you know, how do I get make a career when I have nothing? And I'm like, I built my career in the box. First four or five years was like yeah. 99% of the time in the box in a quote-unquote less than ideal situation. But my goal was always to get myself in a position to actually be in an ideal situation because I've found that's way more fun to work in and way more accurate. Um, and I can serve the client better. Also, just selfishly, I just really enjoy working in a, in a room that translates. I think that's a lot more fun when you're working because you're confident. But if you're just starting out, um, you know, I just feel like I was told in the first like two mastering facilities, I kind of watched people master who were quote-unquote professional. You know, I'd walk into the room like, oh, there's like $200,000 gear. Like, and then I go home to my apartment, and I'm like, oh, I have like $1,000 of gear. Like, how do I ever bridge this gap? Like, how will I ever get there? But they didn't do that overnight. Right, but that's what I think, you know, the internet especially makes it look like it's overnight. Like, it makes it feel like people, we just find people, like people just find me on the internet and go, wow, wonder how, how why him? Why does he have all that? How do you, he must be exponentially better. And mm. I think for me, looking back, like, forget everything you know is, when you view someone like me, you need to forget everything you're projecting onto me that you think you know. Because most likely my story is similar to yours, which is started from nothing, worked for now 10 to 12 years, and now you're seeing like, uh, you know, the the tip of the iceberg in theory. So that's something I wish, uh, you know, I wish I could have, A, not been ashamed of how I was working. If you're working... Uh, and you're mastering, and your clients like it, and you like the work you're doing, don't be ashamed of what you're doing. If you tell them, hey, I work in this, and they say, hey, what'd you use on this? And you go, well, I just used ozone. If they want to go somewhere else because they think that is bad after you've already given them a product that they enjoy, then that's a client you don't want anyway. Like You don't want mm -hmm. the clients that are like gear chasers, essentially. <laughs> like. That's not the client you want. It's not the client who's trusting you and your experience and your ears. They're trusting a brand name that they think they need to have success. And a lot of times that's not true. So I'm going to end I said this there. in yeah. other episodes Go. that normally like a client who like, you know, they're kind of like lusting over a piece of gear you have. It's like, oh, I can't wait for you to run it through this. Like you'll normally get that kind of conversation. Right. Nine times out of 10, like their stuff does not work with that piece of gear. <laughs> and it ends up working like their stuff is was not run through that piece of gear and it just wasn't the right vibe. Yeah. But like people have like for some reason this like phantom tone that something sounds like built up in their head. Yeah. And it's kind of funny cuz they're like, "Oh yeah, I can really hear this working." It's like, mm, "Not really." <laughs> <laughs> you can probably hear it in bypass. Right. So, but I would say more on the technical side for me is um yeah and back on the gear side that you need to like compress within like a certain window and that you don't need all this like crazy amount of like gain reduction and stuff like that and it's like some stuff uh <laughs> some stuff freaking kicks man <laughs> and sometimes it needs to be put in a little bit of a box and i mean that's kind of where i mean i know i'm always like pretty high up on the soothe train but um, it's kind of nice because you can kind of tame stuff without getting that like transient like or 
like like I don't know, like yeah, after the master, it's like you're like ah, I can kind of hear the compression. It's like well, I didn't use compression, and it's like <laughs> you're actually hearing yours, right? And it's like soothe never really gets you to that point unless you're getting like super grabby with it. Of like you're gonna start hearing it. I think you're gonna start noticing it before anyone else would start noticing it, and. Unless it's like, if it's super wide, you'll start noticing that like certain parts are scooped. And if it's like super narrow, it's like so sharp that like there's some crazy digital like zipping happening. And it's like, those are the things that I think you'll notice before you'll hear like that plug-in really uh, pulling stuff down in like a compression way. So it's like, I like leaning on that pretty heavily. And, uh, but it's like having like this other notion with compressors, so like more... Uh, let's call it normal compressors. I think that they call that a dynamic resonance suppressor. And it's like, okay, whatever. Pretty hefty my marketing. Um, but with like a normal compressor that you need to stay under two to one. And that's not necessarily the case. If I'm using it like an SSL, like something just needs to kind of like kind of get back into the box. And it's not like the API 2500 kind of territory. And I feel like people like, I feel like I can say that and y'all know what I'm saying. So I'm just like envisioning I'm talking and y'all are nodding. And so like it's something that like it needs an SSL, not an API. And I'm not going to two to one. I'm actually going four to one. And I like the way that like everything resets better. I like the speed of everything. I like, um, I mean, obviously you're going to have a little bit more grabbing because you're at four to one as opposed to two to one. Um but just kind of the ratio I like. So, but it's like this, like foot control systems, however, it's like I'm at, what, what's this setting? It's like two clicks. It's like 1.05 to one. It's like, that's my favorite ratio on this thing. And it can get pretty like grabby. Um, and it's like, not that you hear it. It's just like stuff kind of just starts disappearing, but not in a noticeable way. You're just like, oh, that little sheen isn't there anymore. Um, so, but you don't need to do that. And that's not, and like, oh, well, you need to compress under a dB. Well, it's like I had like part of a song that is just freaking crazy transient and this girl's vocal is all over the place. Well, I'm going to pull down like a one and three quarter dB with this very mu. It's going to add some really cool vibe. It's going to control the situation and I can always automate it out. Uh, like when the full band comes in, I don't do it a lot. I, if you do that, make some pretty good notes about that you're doing it. But um, it's kind of like what I said with EQ is that like you do whatever you need to do to make the make the song sing, and don't worry about like what other people have kind of said that you need to do and you need to abide by. So, what about you, Sam? Um, my next thing. <clears throat> I would say, well, I mean, one of the big things. Oh, yeah. Real quick. Yeah, go. Come on. While you did monologue, I counted the steps. (laughs) Yes. And I was wrong. I actually, I wasn't wrong. I did the math backwards. Um, Each step on the mastering one is 0.733333 decibels. Interesting. Not 1.36, whatever. That was just me doing the math backwards. Yeah. So, okay, I'm sorry, continue. Um, I was going to say probably one of the biggest things I feel like I was talked and shamed about for a long time was compression 
overall compression loudness, um, there was a lot of, still is a lot of uh, loud people on the internet who tell you that if you make uh, compressed records that you're destroying the music industry <laughs> and you're destroying audio or that you're ruining someone's uh, record if you don't leave any dynamics in it. And this was something I actually uh, believed in for a number of years starting out was that in order for me to take advantage of trying to be louder, I needed to make dynamic records. And so I would often uh, fight over with my clients early on to say, hey, you want this louder, but I would tell them, you don't understand how normalization works and how this is going to mm -hmm. affect your song. And when it gets on Spotify or whatever, it's going to be encoded and normalized different. It's going to be quieter than all the other dynamic songs. And to be completely honest, I didn't understand normalization correctly back then. <laughs> I thought I did. And I believed a lot of people who had very convincing arguments but I was too naive to do my own research because I thought, well, surely these people know what they're doing. But in reality, they uh, they weren't really making records that anyone knew about or they didn't make records at all. They were just trying to sell um, e-course, e-book, plugins. And I don't want that to sound like I'm against those things, but I'm against people teaching people when they've never done the thing they're, they're trying to teach or mm -hmm. give expert advice on to professionals who are in the industry. We have a or lot they of that. don't do it anymore. Right. Yeah, that too. So they're not connected with how music is distributed, how it's streamed, how it works, um, or how current clients in the market want their music to sound. So that was a big one for a lot of years. I didn't make super compressed records. Um, I would often turn back something that's quieter or, or quote-unquote more dynamics. I would try to bring out dynamics in something that was compressed and turn it back in. And I genuinely thought at that time I was serving the record. Now, the record still sounded good, in my opinion, like translated. But there's definitely a good amount of, um, I'll say, quieter records in general that I made early on. And, you know, obviously the goal of normalization is to make those quiet records play back as loud as the compressed records. That's normalization. So it's not that big of a deal. But... It was just a really big, and still is for a lot of people, a concern, a fear of like, how is this going to sound when it comes out? It needs to be more compressed. No, it needs to be more dynamic. No, it's going to get turned down. No, it's going to get turned up. How do we get this to be, you know, basically compete or something? And it took me a lot of years to do research on my own. And of course, putting out lots of records, you can just then go listen to your records in real life. And if you want compared to other people, if that's really important to you, and learn, but for a lot of years, a lot of people I talked to who I looked up to said, like, you got to make dynamic records, you got to master it dynamic, because if you don't, then the record will sound bad. I also feel like I thought for a long time that what I was hearing went on commercially, what I was hearing I thought were dynamic records, because I assumed these guys, the guys who actually make records, would be doing that. But then I learned they smashed the shit out of everything. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it was one of those things where uh, I guess the wisdom, forget everything you know, would be like, don't take advice from anyone who's not actually um, making records. And even the records you like specifically, um, 
if people don't have, like Matt says, or we say, if they don't have skin in the game, if they're not actually making records as of today in the current music industry, then it's not that what they're saying is untrue, but it may not be the best advice to follow. So that was something for a long time I fought compression and limiting, even though kind of in my own head, I was like, I kind of like the way stuff sounds when it's smashed, like for what I'm doing in Top 40. <laughs> so that is something, um, you know, I wish earlier on I would have trusted my gut and my ear and been like, man, I like taking 4 dB off here. Or, hey, I like stacking a limiter, EQ limiter, which is something I do a lot of now because I really love the way it sounds. But early on, I just had this like revolving tape of like, you're part of the problem. You're destroying audio. <laughs> like all this bull crap. Um, and so that that's something for me that uh, I wish I could have forgot. You know, I wish I could have erased that. I wish... I wouldn't have gone through multiple years of trying to, um, I guess, fight the good fight of dynamic records, even though a lot of the records I was working on sound better compressed, more balanced. They're more enjoyable to listen to that way. So that is my thing. Pass. (laughs) I would say just for time's sake... I'm gonna probably do one more. Yeah, that's and great. If you have if if you have more, you're more than welcome to. No, let's wrap. You do one more, and let's wrap. After. So we're kind of, Sam and I are kind of getting a little bit of a late start because we're friends, and <laughs> even though this episode, as of right now, I think is only like 35 minutes long, we've my current count on our phone call is one hour and 55 minutes and 52 seconds. That's so correct. We went a little bit over on talking, so oh well, we're friends outside this episode, so. <laughs> Anywho, um, my last one is that you, and this is like the such bullshit because it's like, like the guy with gear is about to tell you this, but like you don't need it. Mm. And it's like, well, it's easy to say sitting from your like high throne in front of your like fancy gear, but it's like if you're making it happen without it, then you don't need to like incur the expense of like thousands of dollars of gear because you think that you're going to make a better product when you're making a really good product that people are really enjoying, I would just play to that. And it's like some plugins sound insane. Sam and I were talking about some that were just like, uh, if this is the future of plugins, <laughs> gear is fucked. <laughs> so that's uh, if you're like rocking it, just completely with a computer, headphones or monitors or something, then you keep doing you because I don't really think there's anything wrong with that. The reason I have gear is because it's like I came up in the front of house world and I just like, and then, and kind of when I came up is when like I had several years kind of behind analog desks and then you have digital desks and then like you have like Behringer come out with their little iPad stuff and everyone's kind of going over to iPads. And I just, I don't know, I, th- I think I caught like so early on like how much it sucked because it's like you're not physically like holding something or touching something or like manipulating something and you can't 
like do X, Y, or Z like a certain way like you could if you just had a board in front of you and just make like an immediate correction. You got to like swipe down the whole like board or whatever it is or go to whatever like page of this bank of 16 faders or something, pull up this compressor, go to this EQ, and I could have literally been like one or two buttons away from that on an actual board. So, and then it was super laggy and it's like mics wouldn't mute and change and stuff like that. And so, um, I think, I think that that kind of plays into it a little bit, but, um, just like having like the physical piece of gear for some reason to me, it's like, I'm very mechanically minded and I just have to be able to like physically interact with something. And it's not that it necessarily makes X, Y, or Z sound better. It's that I perform better and I'm more mentally engaged when I am like tangibly interacting with this equipment. So, <clears throat> but if you're like absolutely rocking it in the box, then I would, I would not change. If anything, I would, the only thing I'd tell you to do is get yourself like a good, like DAC at least with like a monitor out or something like that. Just so like you have like a really proper, like in the box rig you have the option to go out if you want. Like, in all honesty, and I know one of our last episodes is on the Lynx Hilo, buy a Hilo. You can buy them for relatively, I'm not going to say relatively inexpensive, <laughs> but, like, the expense is not, like, it's a very justifiable expense. Like, once you start making money from it, it's like, oh, cool, like, one project just paid for the Hilo. Mm -hmm. That's cool. So it's like you buy it for $1,500, and you have, like, a really, like, like, one or two, like, long records. You're like, sweet, that just paid for that. And now I'm going to keep going in the green or in the black. So I would say buy a Hilo and just something that you can, you know you can trust the headphone out, know that you can trust the monitor out, and you have like infinite variability. In case you do get a piece of gear, you can kind of demo, you can do whatever you want, um, and you have some fun I.O. options you can play with. Uh, that to me is kind of like, the perfect world. I would just make sure that you have something like really solid for monitoring that you can um, reference really well on. But I think like the big myth of like that you're told is like, oh, you gotta you gotta go out and buy this. You gotta go out and you you gotta have this big old desk sitting in front of you. As I'm like looking out at all these knobs in front of me. So, <laughs> but it's like it's always the guy who has it that tells you you don't need it. <laughs> it's like, well, it's easy for you to say. So, but I don't know. It's kind of like. It's kind of like, you know, the Wizard of Oz, like you kind of like seen behind the curtain and it's like, it's cool and I really like it and I, wor I work really well with it. In the summer, the tubes get really, really hot and the room gets really, really hot. It's like the most expensive space heater I own and I don't know. For me, it works well, but if it's just kind of not in the cards, then just know it doesn't have to be in the cards and... There's this whole like imposter syndrome bullshit. And I heard that pop up the other day again. And it's just like, one, I can't believe this is still a thing. Two, don't y'all listen to the attack and release show. We tell you that that's a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> Three, if you like start identifying with what you're doing, shit shakes loose. And like, I think like most of that is kind of just believing in yourself and believing in your product and believing what you are doing and that you are changing lives by the music that you are mastering and getting out into the world. And I think that's probably like the most important like facet, uh, like like mental faculty that you could probably that you could possibly put yourself in. So, I think that's kind of where I stand on that. Love it. That's great. 
You want to rap there? Let's rap like a gift. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> That was pretty bad. Uh, that could have gone down like a really uh, weird path. No. So, you know, gift. Yeah, you know what? I'll. Yeah, do. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I think we just gotta take what we got. So anyway, thank you for enduring. Uh, <laughs> like, I guess the possible could have been bad out of that joke. <laughs> Rapping like a gift. Anyway, um, yeah. So queuing up from the background, you probably hear a sweet beat from beesabeats.com. If you like the beat. This is like episode 89 or 90. This might be episode 90. Oh my I don't know. Gosh. Uh, I got to I got to go look at stuff, but it might be episode 90. Hold on. Y'all y'all just hang tight cuz <laughs> if this is episode 90, it's kind of worth knowing that it's episode 90. It's wild. All right, going here. We got to log in. Episodes Holy mo- like oh, I got to make it? sure I haven't scheduled anything yet. So A&R settings released today. I can say top end's going to... Nope. Ah, ah, ah. Yeah, top end's 89. This guy's 90. Wow. So episode 90. Man, if y'all have been here since the beginning, y'all are rock stars. I don't know why y'all listen to us that much. But it'll be roughly 90 hours of content. That's amazing. So if you've been with us since the beginning, thank you so much for being along on this journey. Um, but queuing up in the background, a sweet beat from beastbeats.com. And... If you like it, Sam has done 90 of these. He has not repeated one. And if you need a beat for anything whatsoever, give him a shout. Um, Yeah, if you like what you heard or said, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, You can do that via comment, via just showing some support and liking. Uh, You can go to the attackandreleaseshow.com. You can go browse around. You can go do whatever you want to do there and support the show. Or the most important stuff to us is that you just send this episode to a friend and tell them that all the stuff that they're learning, they don't really need to know. So, and I think that's about it. You got anything, bud? That's it. It's great. Cool. So morning, afternoon, even whatever y'all are having, have a darn good one. We'll see y'all in episode 91. Crap, that's crazy. All right. See y'all later. Have a good one. Bye. Cue the music. Killing!